Super Bowl 57 could have been a classic until, for the second year in a row, the game came down to a questionable holding call, which set up the game-winning field goal for the Chiefs, as they are the champs for the second time in four years. I'll have a complete breakdown of the big game, why this wasn't a classic, the commercials, the commentating, Rihanna, as we could put the sport on ice until September. What else is happening in sports? Not much, as we're about to enter the annual Sports Dead Zone Part 1. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. On the eve of Valentine's Day, I'm here to profess my love in producing and hosting this podcast twice a week, every week, sharing my thoughts and opinions on everything that's happening in sports, as well as your love for sports, stopping by and hearing me critique, praise, and analyzing all that's going on as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And you already know what's going to take up a majority of this podcast, and rightfully so. But the NFL fan and all of Philadelphia have their flags at half-mast because they won't witness another game of meaning for seven months as we now face the first of two sports dead zones of 2023. Not to get you more depressed on that note, but I'll touch on that later on for those especially new to the podcast when I'm referring to the sports dead zone. But before I get into every aspect of last night's game, here's Super Bowl 57 in a nutshell, and then I'll expound. The Eagles had complete control of this game for three quarters. They actually had a 32-13 to 13 advantage when it comes to time of possession, and at one point they had 60 plays to the Kansas City Chiefs' 30 plays. So based on that, they let the Chiefs hang around and with Mahomes' magic. But the unsung hero, or heroes I should say, are the Chiefs' offensive line. The Eagle pass rush, were they lost or stuck in the desert out in Arizona somewhere? A defensive hold that should not have been called, even though the cornerback James Bradbury admitted so. And what could have and would have been a classic was just a great game and more than I ever expected as the Chiefs win Super Bowl 57. 
Now as I get into all the nooks and crannies, the nuts and bolts of this game, but to summarize in that one paragraph, that's what you had here in a Super Bowl where I didn't think there was a lot of juice. I didn't think there was a lot of buzz. And it's weird because anytime you have two top seeds in each conference go head-to-head in a Super Bowl, you would think that it would be a clash of the Titans. It would be a scenario where who's going to come out on top? Who's going to be the best team? Both records reflecting that, as I'm sure you saw the graphic yesterday, the amount of points scored was even. Even the Kelsey brothers, one on each side. Everything that was aligned for this to be an epic clash, I didn't really feel it, even leading into kickoff. But what we saw over the course of the three and a half hours certainly ended that way, but it did not end up in a classic. In fact, can we start the game on time? Let's go there because for all the pomp and circumstance, and we get it that the Super Bowl is an event. Everything has to be a prolonged introduction to the game, whether it's the Star Spangled Banner, whether it's America the Beautiful, whether it's Lift Every Voice and Sing, which, and all that is understood, and I get it. It's a part of the whole process. And I'm not trying to knock every one of those scenarios, but again, it's five minutes for this, commercial. Five minutes for that, commercial. Let's introduce another different theme leading into kickoff, and this isn't to knock or be any disrespect to the Pat Tillman Foundation, of course, the game being played in Arizona, the former Arizona Cardinal secondary defensive back, as we all know his story, and they had the four or five people that were on the field prior to. But now it's 6.43 and you're having this extracurricular stuff that, can we start the game? So we go from coin toss to a feature to the flyover to when are we kicking off this game? It took forever. And it actually started at 6.44 where in the past the game usually started 6.20, then it pushed up to 6.35, then it went to 6.40, now it's 6.44. What's going to happen next year? 7.05, this thing's going to kick off and we're going to go to bed at 11.30 on the East? So that's number one. For Kansas City deferring, I thought it was a little bit arrogant on their part because of how the Eagles have played offensively all year. And as you saw in the opening drive, they went right down the field and punched it into the end zone to get the scoring started. And even with the Chiefs answering back, with a touchdown, and the first thing that came to my mind, I don't know, I'm sure a lot of Philadelphia probably thought about this, but for me, after those back-to-back TD drives to start the game, I thought to myself, here we go, it's going to be Super Bowl 52 all over again, where the final score was 41-33, you had over 1,100 yards of offense, I believe the Patriots had, what, 505 total, well, I think it was over 1,000, 1,100 is a little bit too much, but I know the Patriots had over 500 Offensive yards and the Eagles were close to 500 themselves. And I'm thinking this is going to be Matador defense at its finest because right out of the gate, you had a 7-7 game and are the defenses going to show up in this game? And as it was, after Harrison Bucker hit the upright at 7-7 and then Jalen Hurts strikes to A.J. Brown to begin the second quarter, not a good throw on Jalen Hurts and that was a theme here. But for A.J. Brown to contort and adjust to make the catch there in the end zone to make it 14-7. And then you thought for a moment there, could this be the point of the game where the Eagles may take over? And as it was, Hurts had a costly fumble at the time. What was it, on a third and sixth where he looked like he was going to scramble right and try to get the first down on his own, but the ball slipped out. Next thing you know, it's being recovered by Nick Holden. 
He goes into the end zone. The game is tied at 14. And then for a minute there, you thought, could this be an early momentum shift to where the Eagles, who have been able to move the ball, and as I mentioned at the top, were able to possess it for pretty much two-thirds of the first half. And then when the Eagle offense was back on the field, and knowing that the Kansas City Chief defense had to go back after the fumble recovery and touchdown, they were able to convert two big four downs, one on a fourth and five, which set them up in the red zone. That was the big run there by Jalen Hurts. And that was the one thing I didn't understand by the Chiefs, especially in the first half, is why didn't they have a spy on Hurts knowing that he's a dual threat? We saw him make the big throw, obviously, to the touchdown pass for A.J. Brown. We see him do all types of things on the field, a lot of it with his legs, but he was able to complete some passes. Nothing too spectacular other than the long throw to Brown for that touchdown. But I never understood why Steve Spagnuolo or the Chiefs overall thought to at least have a spy. Maybe they did in the postgame. I didn't watch any of the postgame. But the Eagles were able to march on down the field. They also got a fourth and two later where the Chiefs jumped offside. Then Hurts rushes in for a four-yard touchdown on the ensuing play. And then you had a 21-14 game to where when the Chiefs had the ball late in the first half, Mahomes goes down as his ankle gets rolled up on with a minute 32 to go. And as you see him hobble off the field, you wondered whether or not, I thought he was going to come back into the game. There was no way that Chad Henney, even if he was warming up, you have to cut Mahomes' legs off in order for him to not get back on the field. But as it was, the Eagles then got the ball. Their offensive line was tremendous. As we saw Hurts gaining first down after first down, moving the chains. The Devontae Smith, that catch on the sideline. And although the ball did hit the ground, but it seemed like he had control. It didn't seem like the ball was moving or his hands trying to corral that pass in that it looked like it could have been dubious. But what they did, they overturned it. That was a huge play because if they got the ball there, which would have been at the 13-yard line, who knows? Would the Eagles then punch the ball in and make a 28-14? I think so, considering the way they've been moving the ball throughout the course of the first half. And who knows? 28-14, even with the Chiefs getting the ball to start the second half, does change the complexion there because even at 28-21, you're still playing from in front by a touchdown as opposed to a field goal. And as it was, Jake Elliott hit a field goal as time expired. End of the first half, and away we go. Should I talk about Rihanna now, or should I just move on to the second half? I guess since I'm going in chronological order, the halftime to me, overall, I get it that they had her on that perch, and how they did that was phenomenal. I will admit, people were killing the costumes and the dancers and all that. I was just focused in on the performance. Her performance was average. And I'm not trying to be Mr. Music Critic, I know she's had a ton of hits and it has nothing to do with her music. And I get it. She played pregnant, not hurt. And you want to throw that into the mix as well. Maybe as a bit of a, all right, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Okay, I understand she can't do as much considering that the entire nation saw that she had a belly and I'm sure wasn't as flexible or as mobile as she would have liked. But even with that being said, I didn't think her performance was anything earth shattering. And Prince still holds the heavyweight belt for the best Super Bowl halftime in the history of the Super Bowl. And I'll just leave it at that. As we get to the second half, the Chiefs were lucky to be down 10 considering everything that I've detailed here when it comes to the first half and how the Eagles were able to move the ball and even with the Devontae Smith catch, if they would have been able to punch that into the end zone, how that would have really been 
not to say insurmountable, but even with them having the ball coming out of the gate of the second half and then punching it into the end zone as they did to make it 24-21, the Eagles then were able to withstand another turnover for a touchdown as that call, which was the right call, although the catch was made, I believe it was by Gainwell. I don't think it was Miles Sanders, but either way, he did have the catch. He secured it, did have the two steps, but you have to make that third step in order to complete the play. And although he got blasted there and the ball was recovered, I believe again by Nick Holden for a touchdown, but they reviewed that. And of course, it was reversed to where the Eagles then had the ball. They were able to march on down the field. They had that big third and 14 catch by Dallas Goddard, which I thought was incomplete because even as the ball was shifting in midair, yes, it did look like his left foot was down, but it wasn't conclusive in my eyes. But they gave the catch as it was confirmed on the field. And then the Eagles were able to kick a field goal from that drive, 17 play drive. One of the longest, I believe tied for the longest in Super Bowl history. But that was another opportunity to where the Eagles, as much and as well as they played offensively throughout the course of the night, were unable to get closer to the end zone or even punch it in, which again, would have changed the complexion of the game. 27-21 is much different than 34-21. Or excuse me, in that case, 31-21. So now the Chiefs get the ball back. And as I said earlier, the Chiefs are hanging around Kansas City, although we didn't know that they were going to take off the way they did, considering that Travis Kelsey had a bunch of catches in the first half and pretty much the rest of the offense was invisible, whether your name was Juju Smith-Schuster, whether your name was Kadarius Toney. And this is where they made their imprint on the game because even as they go on down the field and they had the touchdown there to Toney, which he was wide open there, as Mahomes was just valiant throughout the course of the second half. And when Tony got that touchdown there in the right flat to make it 28-27, that's when I thought to myself, this is where I want to see Jalen Hurts, although they were down by one, but let's see what he's going to be able to do here in order to get his team back ahead as the Chiefs were able to get the lead for the first time in the game. So now the Eagles go three and out. And you had the terrible punt by Aaron Sipos where Kadarius Toney had the longest punt return in Super Bowl history, 65 yards. And then they're on a third down and you kind of wondered after that little crazy, I don't know what you want to call it, it wasn't even a trick play, but they had everybody do a ring around the rosy there before the offense dispersed. And I know you had the right tackle who was uh, playing eligible at that time and the Eagles read that beautifully as Mahomes had to throw it away. But then what happened, Sky Moore, who was in motion and then went back the other way, wide open as Avante Maddox could not keep track of his man. And for back-to-back drives for the Chiefs to get those two touchdowns where I could have caught it and crawled into the end zone, that's where you saw Nick Sirianni and their defensive coordinator get outcoached. That's where you saw Mahomes was not only just in rhythm by then, but they did not have an answer for the... Chief offense by any stretch of the imagination. And as I said at the very top, the offensive line, as great as Mahomes played and as valiant, etc. One of the things I talked about on the podcast last Thursday was how the offensive line was going to hold up against that defense. And when you have four guys that had double-digit sacks throughout the course of the year, and what was it, 78, including the postseason, where Javon Hargrave, Hassan Reddick, Fletcher Cox, 
Brandon Graham all had double-digit sacks and were their names even announced throughout the course of the evening? I think once they even mentioned Hargrave to make a play where they were thrown for a loss, Reddick didn't do a damn thing in the game, Fletcher Cox, nowhere to be found, and then for Brandon Graham, I understand he's been on the team for forever, what was it, 13 years he's been on the Eagles, and did he even make a play in this game at all? To me, that is a product of the offensive line and how well they played. And remember, maybe some of those guys that were on the team two years ago when they lost to Tampa, I'm sure they heard all week that they had to deal with this Eagle pass rush. And why not? I mean, the, they've been dominant the whole year throughout this postseason, as we saw. And here it was for now three into the fourth quarter, how they weren't able to lay a finger on Mahomes. And especially after that punt, that last drive where Mahomes was able to go up the gut, and I understand that was for the game-winning field goal, but he even got his yards when he absolutely needed to, outrunning the defense, and it just made you think, for a team as solid as they've been all year, and even spectacular on the defensive end and trying to get to the quarterback, boy, they picked their worst game to have their worst game, and I'm sure all of Philadelphia, and we're going to get to the holding call in a second, but for that defense to not show up, and I get it, you have to give credit to the offensive line, but that is an indictment on how they were just neutralized, how they were just a non-factor, and as much as you want to pin the blame on that holding call at the end, you got to look at the defense as the GOAT, and I'm not talking about greatest of all time people, as the GOAT of this game. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. So now at 35-27, the Eagles get the ball, And now they're marching down the field, converting more fourth downs. It's amazing to think that this team, and again, that offensive line, as I talked about before for the Eagles, as stout and probably the best offensive line in football. And I wonder if they're going to change that rule because on one of the fourth downs, you see A.J. Brown. I forgot who the running back was. I don't think it was Miles Sanders. But here they are literally pushing. Jalen Hurts passed the first down marker, and that's something that they're going to have to really think about, especially when it comes to the rules and the competition committee, because I understand there's a different set of circumstances, but for those who cannot jump on the back of another player or jump over the line of scrimmage to block an extra point or a field goal, the same has to apply here when it comes to trying to push an offensive player to get past the first down marker. That has to be abolished. There's no way that they could have that moving forward, and I hope they take a look at that this coming off season. But even as that was, you had Jalen Hurts going for another touchdown, his third rushing touchdown, which equaled Terrell Davis going way back in the Super Bowl against the Packers, and then he also converts on the two-point conversion to tie the game with five minutes to go, and even then, I looked at the clock, and I said, this is where Andy Reid is going to have to reel it in and not... Obviously, he's not going to get into two-minute offense mode, but you don't want to leave enough time on the clock for the Eagles to get back on the field for them to have an opportunity to whether either get a game-tying field goal or a game-tying touchdown. As it was, the Chiefs are moving down the field methodically. You had the big run, like I mentioned, by Mahomes up the gut. That set him up in the red zone. And now let's get to it. The... Third and eight, and I know I did miss one thing, which I'll get to going back to the previous drive. So I got out of sync here when it comes to the Eagles tying the game. In fact, let me get to that quick. The pass to Devontae Smith down the sideline, 
Smith should have had a walking touchdown. I don't understand why, as wide open as he was, and off the top of my head, Jalen Hurts wasn't really pressured, but for that ball to sail the way it did and for Devontae Smith to catch it and then go out of bounds at the three, that was another bad throw by Hurts. And didn't matter because they did get the touchdown, and I know I'm nitpicking there, but that was one where he should have been led into the end zone, and that would have been it. You could have spared those couple of extra plays, but be that as it may, now after the run by Mahomes up the gut, sets them up, and now let's get to the third and eight play. After this happened, I thought back to last year's Super Bowl with Logan Wilson on Cooper Cup, and I get it. Are they flags? They are. But considering that the game was relatively clean, yes, there were some calls, yes, there were some penalties on both sides throughout the course of the game, but there was not a holding call. Or I believe there was one holding call on the defense for the Eagles at some point early in the game. But now you had a scenario where third and eight, Juju Smith-Schuster is coming in and then he cuts out on a wheel play and James Bradbury, who at first tugged on the jersey and then had the left arm or his left hand right by the hip, And even as the play unfolded, you didn't see Juju Smith-Schuster throw up his arms or wave for the flag to come out. And even though when the camera cuts to Mahomes and he's pointing toward the ref to throw the flag, and then sure enough, you saw the flag get thrown for a hold, that's where you have to swallow the whistle. It wasn't egregious. It wasn't super obvious. Yes, I could see a game in October where you're going to throw that flag and make that call. But at that point, That's where it made this game from a classic just to a great game. And the reason why I say that is because we're never going to know how the final minute and 35 seconds would have played out. And I understand. The Eagles could have gone three and out. They could have maybe even thrown an interception or the chief defense could have caused a fumble. Obviously, we never know. We could speculate all we want. We could draw up all the hypotheticals that what could have been, would have been, should have been, but didn't happen. Understood. But still, it robbed us of that final 135 to see whether or not the Eagles would have went down the field to either tie the game and push it into overtime, which would have made it an instant classic, or they would have got the go-ahead touchdown. Eagles would have won, which would have made it an instant classic. But because of that, you had two knees, eight seconds to go or 11 seconds to go before Bucker kicks the game-winning field goal. And then they had the Hail Mary there with, what, six seconds to go. And Jalen Hurts, he didn't even get it to the 20-yard line. And the ball was at the 36. So you knew the game was over from then. It had to be a Hail Mary. They couldn't try the old Cal Stanford play. And just a ticky-tack call, a terrible call, no matter how, especially in that spot. I understand that James Bradbury in the postgame said he owned up to it. It should have been called. It was a flag. It was a hold. All right, kudos to him. Stand-up guy, he stood in front of the media I read for 20 minutes to discuss the play. He didn't shy away from it. You know what? Kudos to you, my guy. And if there was no argument on him, then I guess it eases the pain a little bit as opposed to maybe Bradbury saying there was no way that should have been called. Yada, yada, yada. And as we saw last year with Logan Wilson, again, different play, but it was a third and 10. That would have been a totally different outlook in that Super Bowl, similar to this one. And as it was... It robbed us of that last minute and a half of what could have been. But the Chiefs prevailed. They came back from a 10-point halftime deficit. Mahomes was heroic. The offensive line, even more heroic. And the Eagles are going to be licking their wounds all winter long. 
And how I'll break it down for both teams before I even get into the commentating and even the commercials. As for the Chiefs, Mahomes obviously is on a trajectory to greatness. Two Super Bowls, two Super Bowl MVPs. He finally squashed the regular season MVP who has not won a Super Bowl going back to 2013. Especially over the last 10 years, whether your name is Peyton Manning, Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady. Mahomes was your regular season MVP and now him hoisting the trophy at the end of the day. So congratulations to him. Andy Reid, his second Super Bowl. We already know he's going into the Hall of Fame as it is, but now there's really cements it. I don't care if you're the biggest Chief hater or Andy Reid hater for all the conference championship games that he's lost. And although he's two and three in Super Bowls, but doesn't matter. Now he's going in on roller skates. So you got that. To deal with Chief fans. I don't want to hear about Dynasty way too early. And even Mahomes said it. He said, Dynasty, please. They got a lot of work to do. They need to go at least three in a row. Not back to back. Although they're the early favorites to go back and win a Super Bowl for next year. But that's something that I'm not going to get into. But the Chiefs, for them, it's come full circle. Think about this. They started the year, week one, to open up their season in Arizona. And I wonder if there was any buzz or any talk going into that game or going into that building. And I haven't heard anything as of yet as I'm recording this early Monday morning. But for the team as a whole, I wonder if they said, hey guys, here we are to start off the year. Let's hope to end the year in this building with a Super Bowl trophy. And sure enough, they did. So kudos to the Chiefs and for the second Super Bowl for both the quarterback and coach. And it's going to be an offseason that they could erase from what happened two years ago in Tampa and get themselves primed and ready for an offseason to defend their title come September, Thursday night, whenever that second Thursday night's going to be. Off the top of my head, I don't know, as they're going to host whomever. Of course, the schedule isn't going to come out for another few months. So that's the Chiefs there in a nutshell. As for the Eagles, this one is going to stick to your ribs for life. I understand you can look at the holding call and point the finger there. You have to point the finger at the defense. Could they make a stop? Could they have got at least a sack or laid a finger on Mahomes throughout the course of this game? And knowing that they did get to him there late in the first half to where, I forgot who it was who tackled him. Anyway, as they made the tackle and rolled up on Mahomes' ankle and for him to play the rest of the game knowing that it's been re-aggravated and knowing that they couldn't do anything to try to keep him in the pocket or to try to put any pressure on the quarterback. And I guess you could give a bit of kudos to the offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid for trying to get the ball out quick, for not trying to keep Mahomes back there longer than he should. But even at that, he could have ordered the pizza, called a cab, and he had plenty of time to make plays. As again, he was not pressured time in and time out consistently throughout the course of the game, and especially in the second half. And... You can't knock Jalen Hurts. He was excellent in the game. Other than the fumble, you couldn't ask for anything more than what Jalen Hurts did. Threw for over 300 yards, rushed for three touchdowns. Yes, I know the fumble was bad, but still, you can't knock him for what he did throughout the course of the game last night. And other than that, I mean, what more else can you say? That's what you have here in a Super Bowl 57, which was a great game. And it turned out to be that way, especially in the second half. A clean game, not a lot of penalties. Didn't drag on other than the 
pomp and circumstance that I mentioned between the opening, leading into kickoff, the halftime show, which you all know that's going to be a spectacle. And then the game flowed nicely. Didn't have a lot of stoppages. Yes, you had a couple of moments where you had to look to Dallas Goddard catch as well as the catch by Devontae Smith toward the end of the first half. But other than that, it was a great watch. I'm sure the rating was through the roof. I would love to know what it is. And sure, maybe I'll get into it a little bit later on the week when I reconvene with you guys and gals on Thursday. But great game, yes. If you're going to call this a classic, I won't. For everything that I just mentioned about five minutes ago. As far as the commentating, I thought both Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, they were solid. They weren't spectacular. They had their moments where I thought they were great, where they let the game breathe. All they did was you could hear the stadium roar, especially in times of the game. I think after the Mahomes run, there toward the end, where as the Chiefs were getting to the line of scrimmage, you didn't hear anybody commentate. They just let the game and the atmosphere come right through the television set, which I liked. You didn't have every five seconds someone chiming in about this play or talking about an incompletion. Uh Uh-uh. None of that that you heard from Olsen as far as him being the color commentator. Yes, I can nitpick on a couple of things. After the punt return where Greg Olsen did say that was the longest punt return in NFL history, I understand we knew what he meant, but that was something that maybe in the moment he got caught up and that happens. This is their first time doing it. I'll give him a pass. But I thought they were solid. I thought they were very good. They weren't otherworldly. I don't think they deserve an Emmy, but they did the job. As far as the commercials, I'm just going to put it in one word, people. Awful. Where are the days of the Bud Bowl? The classic Doritos commercial. Don't give me this Jack Harlow nonsense. That was stupid. I could care less about how that commercial came off. And all of the other great commercials of the past. How about a Nike commercial? Can we get a Nike commercial in there? I guess Phil Knight, you know, he's got deep pockets. He couldn't throw $7 million for a 30-second or even a 60-second spot for his brand. Not that Nike needs it, but again, the Pepsi commercials I thought were terrible. The whole Ben Stiller and Steve Martin that, oh, is this acting or is it real? Uh, seriously? I did not like any of the commercials. Off the top of my head, maybe there were one or two that I chuckled and, oh, that wasn't too bad. But again, the bad ones outweighed the good ones. So that's all I got for the commercials. And people, that is your Super Bowl recap. And no more NFL for another seven months. I'm sure everybody is going to be, like I said, the flags are at half-mast. Maybe not so much in Kansas City, but Philadelphia and every other NFL city that did not have a game yesterday. But you know what? Thank goodness. The NFL consumed so much, and I understand people, I'm coming across as the sour grapes, throwing cold water on the scenario, situation, etc., But the NFL, they could do no wrong. You could put this game on the moon and have it Wednesday at 3.30 in the morning. And guess what? They're still going to get 100 million people to watch. Including yours truly, of course. I've been invested in football going back to the mid-70s. So I can't divorce myself from the sport just like that. Despite the fact I've been down on the sport over the last, I'd say, 10 years. But they put up a great game yesterday. It was very entertaining. Had its moments. I wish we would have had a chance to see the Eagles get the ball last. That would have been just great theater, great drama. And that's what would have made it a classic. The theater and the drama. But the air came out of the balloon there once that flag was thrown. And again, is that a flag in November, December? Yes. 
for a chance for the Eagles to get the ball back to see if they could tie or take the lead? No. That was not egregious enough for me to have that flag get thrown at that point. So that's what you have, people. That's your NFL as we now pivot and shift to other things. And there really isn't much to talk about in the other sports. I mean, I could get to a couple of things and I will just for the sake of this being a sports podcast and kind of keeping you guys and gals informed of what's going on. In the NBA, after everything that has happened over the past few days with the dust settling, when it comes to the trade deadline, I know Kyrie and Luka Doncic, they had their first game and Luka was pleasantly surprised and happy to know that Kyrie's on his team. So does that mean that the Mavericks are going to be a threat out West? I need to see a little bit more. Two games a week doesn't mean that they're going to start printing up tickets for the Western Conference Finals. Although the Mavericks did make it to the Western Conference Final last year, if you recall, losing to Golden State. But let's see how that plays out as we get past the All-Star break, which the All-Star break will be this coming weekend. But you have that to go and take a look at if you're an NBA fan. Kevin Durant, not going to see him until after the All-Star break to see how he performs in his new uniform out in Phoenix. You have the Celtics and Bucks. They're going to play tomorrow on TNT. Their second matchup this year, if you recall, they got together on Christmas Day where the Celtics went going away, 139-118, I believe it was off the top of my head. And they'll join forces again tomorrow. Not really join forces. They'll go at it tomorrow on TNT, an early game, 7.30, not even an 8.30 game. So we're, we'll see where the Celtics and Bucks land because a lot of people will think they'll be the top two seeds in the East when it's all said and done. And as currently constituted, the Bucks, I believe, are a game and a half back in the standings. One in the loss column. Celtics are 41 and 16. Bucks are 39 and 17. As the Bucks are going into that game, winners of 10 straight. As the Celtics have won four in a row, four in a row, excuse me, in their own right. So a clash of the behemoths in the East will go at it tomorrow night. As the schedule will unwind. And when we get to Thursday night, that'll be the last set of games before the following Thursday where the NBA season will resume. And come Thursday, I'll do a quote-unquote first half recap of the NBA season. Surprises, disappointments, similar to what I did with the NHL about 10 days ago or so when they had their All-Star break last weekend. But other than that, in the NBA, everything is pretty much status quo Nothing much to really dig into. I know the Cavaliers have played well there in the East. You want to give it up for them as the NBA season marches on. As I lace up my skates and turn our attention to the NHL, the Rangers are blazing a little bit of a path in the Metropolitan Division. Their recent trade of Vladimir Tarasenko, the former St. Louis Blue, who won a Stanley Cup there in 2019. You wonder if that's going to give them a little bit of energy, a little bit of a boost as he scored a goal in his first game the other night against the Seattle Kraken. And the Rangers, now winners of five straight, just three points behind the Devils and six points behind the Carolina Hurricanes. I believe they actually play. Did they play over the weekend? Let me just double check that. I know I haven't really been in tune with the NHL here over the course of the last few days as I uh, take a look. I thought I saw the Rangers playing Carolina on Saturday. And as I look at it here, yes, they did. I thought I saw that on the schedule, and we know Carolina's played very well as they've been in first place pretty much since they've overtaken the Devils there about six weeks ago or so. But the Rangers went going away with a big four-goal third period to win 6-2. 
So the Rangers, they could be dangerous right now. And I think bringing in Tarasenko is good because it doesn't put a lot of the onus on the younger players of the team. In particular, Alexis Lafreniere as well as Capo Caco. Now I know they played a little bit better as of late. But considering those guys were a number two pick overall in Kako and a number one overall in Lafreniere, it's good that they blend in with the big stars on the team, the Artemi Panarins, the Vincent Trocheks, the Amika Zibanejads, Chris Kreider, now you throw in Tarasenko. So I think that takes a lot of pressure off of those young guys to perform. And I understand when you get into the postseason, that's when it really is going to matter and the money's going to be on the line. But having Tarasenko in as that presence to get them not only to the cup, but also to have that experience and knowledge and wealth to persevere and to get them over the hump, I think this was a trade and an acquisition that I don't want to say is going to go under the radar by any stretch, but could be that final piece for the Rangers to get to and win a Stanley Cup. And right now, when we look throughout the course of the National Hockey League, Everything else is pretty much the same. The Bruins lost at home to the Capitals the other day. And as we all know, the Bruins had a three-game losing streak recently. So they have not been clicking on all cylinders. But you got to give them a break. They've literally been on fire since the start of the season. And their record is still tops at 39-8-5. 83 points. They're still 11 points ahead of the Maple Leafs in the Atlantic Division. But with the Rangers charging hard and making a push there toward the Devils and the Hurricanes... Other than that, the NHL is pretty much what it is. No other teams have actually separated themselves or at least inch closer to the top. I know the Golden Knights have played well here. Winners of three in a row as they've overtaken the Kraken out in the Pacific. And the Kraken going to be without Andre Burakovsky, their leading scorer, for some time. So that's going to be a big loss to see how that's going to affect them out in the Pacific as they're currently tied. For a second with Edmonton and LA, all three teams with 65 points, but the Kraken have the edge right now as they're in second place. But again, all three of those teams are tied. And then you have Calgary with 60 who are on the outside looking in out in the Pacific Division. But the NHL, as you look at the schedule this week, is there anything that could take note or really look at to say, oh, that's a game that we're going to have to keep in mind as we get between now and Thursday's podcast. As I look at it here, I know we have Tampa and Colorado. We talked about that a little bit on Friday where Tampa had shut out Colorado in Tampa on Thursday, their first rematch, and they're actually going to have their second meeting tomorrow night. So to think, two matchups in five days between the Stanley Cup finalists of last year. So if you want to pay attention to that or something to look forward to, you have that. But And as a matter of fact, that's, uh, yeah, tomorrow night. But other than that, nothing to really get our antenna up as far as any matchups on the schedule between now and Thursday. As for college basketball, I know I didn't tie that in with the NBA. Purdue loses again as I would think they're going to get knocked off of their number one perch, you would think. I thought so last week after losing to Indiana on the road and they were still able to hold the number one ranking in the country. But after losing yesterday to Northwestern, you would think that they're probably going to get knocked down a peg or two, that we're going to have to wait and see. But think about this, people. One month from tomorrow, the tournament will begin in earnest. Now, I understand it's going to be Tuesday the 14th where you're going to have the first four 
the two games on Tuesday, then the two games on Wednesday, and then in essence, that's when the tournament really begins, where you have the full slate of games Thursday and Friday from 12 noon to past midnight. And to me, that's when the tournament really begins. But I got to include the two games where you'll have the two 16s match up, and then you'll have the, usually it's what, the two 11s that match up, where they'll go at it to start off the tournament, where you have Selection Sunday, the Sunday before that. And to think, four weeks from yesterday is when we turn the clocks up and we'll have longer days to where spring will be right around the corner. Not that I'm rushing time, people, but just putting things in perspective as we hit into this sports dead zone. And college basketball now will be a lot more into our consciousness. And knowing that the tournament will begin a month from tomorrow, before you know it, it's going to be March, it's going to be... Madness and a baseball season is going to be on the horizon. And I'll segue into baseball because think about this. Pitchers and catchers will start reporting on Wednesday to where all pitchers and catchers will be into camp by this coming Friday. Most of the teams will report Wednesday and Thursday. I believe the last team is the Guardians. I don't know why, but the last team is the Guardians on Friday the 17th where the players will start to trickle in and you'll have full squads throughout all of baseball four or five days after that. And you also have to think about this, people. The WBC is back for the first time since 2017, for those who get into it. I haven't really been a proponent, and it's interesting because I'm approaching five years doing this podcast, and never once have I talked about the WBC. Remember, the last WBC, with it being every four years, 2017 to 2021, Obviously, with COVID, they did not have a baseball classic at that time. They didn't have it last year, so they postponed it to this year. And I haven't really followed thoroughly what the roster is going to be like, who are the favorites, etc. We do know that the U.S. won the last baseball classic. So as we get closer, maybe I'll get into it a little bit as we get through the exhibition season and make our way toward the end of March for the start of the baseball season. But the tournament overall begins March 8th. You have the championship game on the 21st, which I believe will be in Miami at the ballpark formerly known as Marlins Park. What is it? Lone Depot Park now, I believe. But the issue with pitchers getting stretched out, and I know that could be a big giant question mark for some where pitchers are going to, of course, be at a limit when it comes to performing here at the WBC. You're not going to have pitchers go seven or eight innings, especially the starters. But I know that's a big concern for a lot of the fans, especially for those who are going to be in pennant races, a la your New York Mets, like for yours truly. But there's still plenty of time between now and then to really zero in or really to start to focus on a tournament that I don't know how many people really get into or really follow. Me, I haven't been one that followed it pitch by pitch or game by game. But maybe I'll get into it. Who knows? I still have plenty of time between now and then to really sink my teeth into that. So that's something else to look forward to for the baseball fan to kind of fall in between the start of pitchers and catchers as well as the baseball season there on March the 30th. And then you had Hugh Darvish get an extension, six years, $180 million from the Padres. He's currently 36 years of age and his contract is going to run until he's 42. And Darvish, who's going to make less annually, and I'm sure it was more of a team-friendly contract because they have all these other contracts on the books as it is whether your name is Manny Machado although he is going to be a free agent or could opt out 
as a free agent after this year. Juan Soto is a guy that they're certainly going to have to think long and hard on whether or not you're going to give him $400 million. We know about Fernando Tatis Jr. and what he's making on top of what Xander Bogarts is making, on top of what Joe Musgrove, etc. As we all know, the Padre payroll is through the roof. So to have Darvish in the mix, to know that you're going to have him for the duration of his career in San Diego, to give him that team-friendly deal, six years, $108 million, good for them and good for him as we inch that much more closer to the start of exhibition baseball in both the Cactus and Grapefruit Leagues. And before I say goodbye, people, I know I talk about this sports dead zone, and for those who are new to the podcast, real quick, once we get past the NFL season, between now and we could say March Madness, but really, this dead zone is from here to the start of the baseball season. Because once you get into April, to me, that is the best sports month on the calendar because you have the start of the baseball season, you have the NBA and Stanley Cup playoffs, you have the Masters, the NFL draft is later that month. You have so much that's going on in the world of sports that I'll be talking until I'm blue in the face. But this is what I love to do, so it's not going to bother me. But between now and you want to say March Madness? All right, fine, I'll give you that. But really, until we get to the baseball season, we go through this period to where, yes, you still have the NBA. Yes, you still have the NHL. I'm sure you're going to have some notable football news and notes throughout the course of the next month and a half. The scouting combine, I do not get into at all. But this is the Sports Dead Zone Part 1, and we're going to go through this together. So even though it may be a little bit slow or it's not going to be as highly anticipated as far as what the sports world has to offer between now and let's say March 30th. But you know, I'm always going to come correct, directed, and in full effect on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So keep tuned to what the J Reels podcast has because you know that I'm going to come with complete fire, passion, and energy when it comes to what happens on the sports landscape. With that being said, people, another episode just about in the books. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for entrusting in me to be your source for all the sauce in the world of sports, as I like to say. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. That'll go a long way as to getting the visibility out there to increase that with all the others that aren't familiar with the J Reels podcast. If you want to check out my socials or hit me up on my social media, you could do so at the following on... Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, The J Reels Podcast, on YouTube, at J Reels, on Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. And if you want to hit me up with an email, you could do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com. Slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, anything and everything that entails this production into this microphone, to your earbuds or speakers, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say, and I'm not going anywhere, as I'm here to stay as long as I'm alive and breathing. I'm approaching a five-year anniversary, and I'm preparing and planning, God willing, for 55 more after that. So hopefully in the days and weeks to come, I'll have some guests. Maybe I'll have a surprise for the fifth anniversary that I'm working on behind the scenes. Not going to let the cat out of the bag just yet, but I'm a one-man operation, people. So everything that 
includes in this podcast is coming from my heart, my soul, the blood, sweat, tears, anything and everything that's going into this with my fire, passion, energy, with my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on all that's going on. The diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to Southeast to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>